Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, this is Stu Hodem with Believe in the Media Guide on the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? In February, Seton Hall University has held a three-part Black History Month sports media panel series, co-hosted by renowned broadcast journalist and Hall alum Bob Lee and College of Communication and the Arts professional-in-residence B.J. Schechter, who also serves as editor and publisher of Baseball America. We'll highlight the first two panels. The third will be held Wednesday, February 24th. For the first panel discussion, entitled Diversity, Inclusion, Necessity, Sports in a Time Like No Other, Lee welcomed former ESPN colleague Michael Smith, and Schechter brought aboard former Sports Illustrated co-worker Elizabeth Newman. Smith currently is a principal at Inflection Point Entertainment and co-hosts the Peacock talk show Brother from Another with Michael Holly. Newman is a lecturer at Howard University. Another panelist, Charles Grantham, is the director of the Center for Sport Management at Seton Hall Stillman School for Business, which co-sponsored the series with the College of Communication and the Arts. Grantham played a pivotal role in the advancement of the NBA as an executive with the National Basketball Players Association. Three days after Super Bowl 55, Lee looked back at comments by the NFL Today host James Brown following a pregame feature on Kenny Washington, who was Jackie Robinson's teammate on the UCLA baseball team and reintegrated the NFL when the Rams signed him in 1946, a year before Robinson's MLB debut and 13 years after NFL owners instituted an unofficial ban of black players. Brown reflected on diversity hirings, or a lack thereof, in the NFL. And let me be honest, it was painfully revealing in the story we just saw of how owners collaborated in 1933 to consciously and deliberately eliminate black players from the league. Now, with that ugly practice of barring black players no longer the case, we see how the game has prospered in popularity and profitability. Still, as black players have elevated the game, there has been no commensurate rise to their standing as leaders of that game. When it comes to the hiring of black head coaches, team and league executives and black ownership, frankly, the track record is pitiful. Just two of the last 20 coaches hired have been black. There is currently one black team president and he is the first. And of course, there are no black owners. Nearly half of the inducted players in the Hall of Fame are black, yet only two of the 26 enshrined coaches and none of the six honored general managers are black. Since the league's formation in 1920, less than 5% of the nearly 500 head coaches, including interim roles, have been black in 100 years. I'd certainly like to believe today that there's not even a hint of that calculated exclusion we saw in the 30s, but can we really attribute this to an issue of unconscious bias when the numbers tell an unambiguous story? Whatever the true cause, the solution is the intention and willingness of the owners. We're told that this is an important issue to them, and if so, it is not a complicated issue. Just act on it, just do it. To do the right thing is to recognize that people are given gifts and talents wrapped in a wide array of packaging, light-colored and dark-colored, male and female, everyone. If that truth is embraced and acted upon, then fairness, justice, and equality of opportunity will be the byproducts. And most of all, divisiveness does not have to continue if we choose unconditional love for people 
really matters because love never ever fails. Newman described a glass ceiling that has kept players out of coaching positions and the executive suites of professional leagues. I think it's leading in that it has a camera on it. The spotlight is on sports and people are, are observing and watching what is happening with diversity in sports, whether it be across racial lines or involving gender, women in certain sports, in football, in NBA, what have you. But I also think that there's this perception that diversity in sports has a glass ceiling. That if you are a part of the 60 plus percent that is an NFL player, if you are a part of the 70 plus percent that is a person of color in Major League Baseball, that's fine. That's the status quo. Anything beyond that, you don't have a right to ask for a position. You should be happy that you're allowed to play in this league that can potentially earn you millions. But if you want to work outside of that um, after you retire, if you want to be an executive, if you want to be an owner, if you want to be a coach, in some factions of society, that's too much. You've already reached your potential, your maximum potential. During the panel discussion, Smith shared a split-screen moment that we as a nation were having at the time watching the impeachment of the 45th president of the United States and agreeing with Newman. In the context of her comments, he noted that BLM also stands for Black Livelihoods Matter. Saying Black Lives Matter, um, it, it's easy, frankly. It's comfortable at this point. It's popular. It's trendy. Black careers matter, too. Black livelihoods matter, too. And to Elizabeth's point, um, I and, and to your question about James Brown, I appreciated that he said it because... Um, you know, as I watch uh, out of one eye the impeachment proceedings, <laughs> uh, the establishment wants us to just forget, act like it never happened, move on. Let's let's move forward without accountability. Uh, sports leagues, uh, sports media, the entire sports industry at large needs to do some accounting, some self-accounting and, uh, you know, levy some sort of accountability as it relates to how we got here before we can effectively move forward. And a lot of the hiring practices, promotions, uh, you know, the way that we even talk about black coaches, black executives, black quarterbacks, black commentators, black writers, black reporters needs to evolve. Grantham says league commissioners have the power to institute diversity hiring practices, but he explains how Major League Baseball's first commissioner, Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, used his power to keep MLB from integrating during his tenure from 1920 until his death in 1944. The bottom line here is that we have um, continued status quo. We have continued to stay in place. And, and the reason I cite that is because I continue to go back to uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, I fortunately had the opportunity to attend that march in 1963. And um, when he says, uh, through education, we seek to change attitudes. And through court action or court orders and legislation, we seek to change behavior. And so I fast forward to 2021 and I go back and think about that and I say, okay, guys, <clears throat> you know, 
It's the beginning of the semester and we spent a lot of time in my class talking about the commissioner and the power and the authority of the commissioner. And we go back to Landis, who was the first commissioner in Major League Baseball, had overwhelming power and such power that the uh, that it was pushed toward you know the whole concept of having an exemption to the antitrust law because of the powers we sort of embedded in the commissioner and the reason we did that is because quite frankly he was the guy who called upon to to determine that to be the arbitrator in disputes between owners or players etc banning players for life banning owners for life and so when you think about that and in 1942, Jackie Robinson and, and, and Ralph Campanella, Roy Campanella, had tryouts in baseball, but it wasn't until 47 that Mr. Landis allowed them in. So for the best interest of the game clause that he had in baseball and granted to him as a commissioner, he could have integrated baseball in 42. But on publicly, he was saying there are no rules barring blacks from playing in this league. But privately, he was saying, if you do it, you're going to have to deal with me. While commissioners and owners ultimately have final say in hiring, Newman notes media, fans, and players must speak up about who should be considered and hired for coaching and front office roles, including Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. A couple of um, media outlets this past week after the Super Bowl highlighted the number of black coaches that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have on their staff, not the head coach, but assistant coaches. Okay, how many of those same coaches, including Byron Leftwich, are a part of the conversation, are being interviewed? for open coaching positions. What's going on with Eric Bieniemy? And I'm always gonna hype Eric Bieniemy because he played at my alma mater, University of Colorado. So, you know, he has proven a hundred times over that he should be considered for a coaching position, but yet here we are still on the outside looking in. So I think it takes a lot from fans. I think the media needs to continue to keep this story going. And I think the players themselves that are in the league need to start make, taking a stand and voicing their opinion about who is coaching them, who gets the opportunity to coach them, who is in the front office, who gets to make these decisions on their behalf, on behalf of their yeah. league. Smith takes the baton from Newman and explains how the media's roles as storytellers and insider analysts shape the views of the owners with Biennemi and Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich. Newman follows up and turns a phrase, saying media need to force the hiring hand. Elizabeth, I, I want to piggyback off, off you if I can. To me, this is about the media. It's all about the media. And I'm going to continue to, uh, to you know, intersect this conversation with what's going on in real time when it comes to the impeachment proceedings. Just as media has had a role in the events that led up to January 6th, that didn't happen in a vacuum. Media played a role in amplifying Donald Trump's messaging. Likewise, media, when it comes to how we talk about these issues, how we hold these owners accountable, like who's having these conversations? You mentioned James Brown. And it's not just people on camera being able to have these conversations. It's people behind the scenes. It's, it's people making decisions about content. Look at the power of storytelling. That 13-minute video about the insurrection yesterday, open and shut case, if it wasn't already, that's the power of storytelling. So the stories that we're telling, the conversations that we're having, and let me say something else about these conversations. I love to do these thought exercises every now and then when it comes to the conversation around race and diversity and inclusion. 
I like to take race out of it and put gender into it. Just as it's 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 a it's men's responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility, Bob. It's it's our responsibility to dismantle toxic masculinity and misogyny. It's not women's responsibility to fix that. Likewise, it ain't black people's responsibility to fix racism. It's white people's responsibility to fix it. So don't call, don't just call me or or call Elizabeth or call the nearest black person or you know or Bomani or anybody else, uh, you know, Mike, Mike Wilbon or James Brown. Don't just look to us to lead the conversation on race and racism. White people need to be having this conversation. They need to be just as enthusiastic about having these conversations and identifying these solutions and talking about Eric B. Enemy. I'm gonna bring it full circle to coaching. Since we, we want to focus on coaching opportunities, talking about Eric B. Enemy and talking about Byron Leftwich that with the same energy and the same way that we talk about any of these other head coaching prospects, talk about them as geniuses. Give them their props. Make them the hot candidates. Because you know what owners do? They listen to the media. And the media frames the story. Yes. They listen to the insiders. They listen to the talking heads. And who are, who are we propping up? We didn't do a good job of propping up Byron Leftwich because the narrative of black genius, especially on the offensive side of the football, that's never been the case when it comes, if you just want to focus in on the NFL. But they did a good job of propping up new Detroit Lions coach Dan Campbell who basically has no experience, no coaching experience at all. I mean, he's been an assistant coach in the league for several years, but from the research that I've done, he's never really called any plays in an NFL game. You know, he was just kind of like a sideline prop, if you will. But you have a B enemy, you have a Byron Leftwich who has all of this experience, who, so now you're talking about two black assistant coaches coaches on back different teams, but back-to-back Super Bowl teams. And yet they're not a part of the conversation. And that that's huge. That's huge. And so I agree with you. You know, it's it's the job of the media to call these things out and to force the hand, if you will, force the hiring hand, if you will. The second panel, COVID, College Hoops, and the College Sports Model, brought to the roundtable ESPN College Basketball and NBA Draft Analyst Jay Billis and NBA champion, Fox TV analyst, and current Southern Connecticut State University men's basketball head coach, Scott Burrell. Billis explained college athletes are being asked to play amidst a pandemic when fellow students aren't on campus or being asked to contribute in the same ways as these players. Look at the lengths we're going to play this season. And when people say, well, the, you know, the, the, the kids want to play. Well, I get that. I mean, you know, one, I don't, I don't choose to call them kids because they're adults. And, you know, if they commit a crime, they don't call them kids. And Mm -hmm. a lot of these, quote unquote, not a lot, but there are some of these, quote unquote, kids that have kids of their own. Uh, So so I look at them as adults, but we're not you know, we don't ask football players when there's lightning in the area, whether they want to keep playing. You know, those decisions are made above the pay grade of the players and, and their health and safety reasons. And then are we doing these type of things? for other endeavors that are associated with campus life? And the answer is we're not. With college athletes being asked to perform like professionals, Billis mentions the NCAA's attempts to stave off paying players by attempting to come up with a compensation plan for the name, image, and likeness of athletes. But he notes how the association's actions speak louder than its words. 
with regard to the the amateurism piece uh, of this business, I think it needs to go away. And you know, the NCAA uh, said a few years ago that they were going to move forward with name, image, and likeness rights, which is simply just a stopgap uh, in the in the discussion of compensation. Uh, I think the calculus was if if we give them name, image, and likeness rights, we can stave off compensation for a, a period of time. And I don't know how long they thought that period of time would be. But my thing with the NCAA in this area is don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. Billis explained the NCAA initially said it would not compete in a bubble like the NBA did at Disney World. However, last August, the association applied to trademark the phrase battle in the bubble. In January, it announced the entire 2021 men's basketball tournament would be played in Indianapolis. In December, the Supreme Court agreed to review the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals decision to uphold a lower court ruling, barring the NCAA from capping education-related compensation and benefits for student-athletes in Division I football and basketball programs. Lee asked Grantham what to expect from the review by the highest court in the land. Grantham says the newest Supreme Court Justice, Amy Coney Barrett, as a fighting Irish alumna and faculty member, may play a role in the ruling. Schechter then highlights the exchange as reminiscent of Lee's former life on ESPN's Outside the Lines. Let me ask Charlie about the pending uh, Supreme Court case on compensation, the NCAA appealing there. Um, how, how much of a cataclysmic change could that case bring? Or is it going to be another incremental step? Well, I think... I think whatever the decision is going to be, it's going to be pretty narrow. In other words, it's the Jenkins case and decision. So it will strictly, I think, be a little bit more localized. But I don't think it's going to be the radical change that everyone's looking for here. I think, again, it looks like the NCAA may take a skate here, primarily because of the additional judge that was appointed to the Supreme Court. Make no mistake about it. I think that it's pretty clear that Notre Dame, and you know the director of uh, athletics there, and the integral part they played in sport in college over these last two decades, that when we got our latest Supreme Court justice, from Notre Dame, I have no. There's no question in my mind that there's been communications there. So I'll be really? very surprised to see. I'll be very surprised to see a dramatic shift in terms of uh, what the NCA has been able to do over this last couple. Did days. you just basically say the fix is in? I don't ever talk about the fix as well, in. I, I sounded about, like that here. I talk <laughs> about the political clout of the various organizations. Yeah, I got you. Bob Lee still knows how to make news. <laughs> no, Charlie knows how to make news. Well, you know how to bring it out. As a current coach and a former player, Burrell looked at the power of players to use their social media platforms during the pandemic. As they define what's important to them, they look up to LeBron James. I love how athletes do have the platform and they use their platform in the right way. Um, it, it's, we need it more. Uh, as long as you do it in the right way, peacefully, and say and be educated on what you're speaking about. I think it's a great thing for these young kids to to use that platform and, and speak about the wrongs of injustices that they face or they see. I think LeBron does a great job of doing it. And I think a lot of kids have followed that. Obviously, LeBron's one of the biggest athletes in the world and kids do follow it. And and uh, I, I love how he has a stance on a lot of things and he uses a platform and doesn't hide back um, behind his celebrity celebrity uh, status. I, I hope they keep continue to do it. I hope it's, it builds a bigger, bigger, stronger um, bond between their players and what they're fighting for. 
Because I think a lot of kids in this day and age don't understand life yet. They're on the phone. They're, they're, they're worried about social media. They don't understand what life and what people are fighting for. And uh, the more people that get involved in and, and, and trying to fight the, the wrongs of, of this world, it, it'll be better for all of us. While James may be the greatest of all time to today's college athletes, Burrell won an NBA title with another GOAT, Michael Jordan. The first athlete to be drafted in the first round of two of the big four U.S. pro leagues, Burrell was selected by MLB's Seattle Mariners in 1989 and the NBA's Charlotte Hornets in 1993. Lee wanted to know whether Burrell, a right-handed pitcher, threw to Jordan, an aspiring MLB player, in his break between NBA championships. I've been itching to ask you this, Scott. Off, off the last dance, which, as I said, you became a, a fixture of the American cultural firmament and, 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 and loving it. Um, and, you know, and there's, there's Jay, who knows Michael as well. At any point during that 98 season when you were newly arrived on the Bulls and, and Michael was doing what Michael was doing, with, did you, as a former professional pitcher, want to get this guy who tried out in baseball into a batting cage to kind of even the score here? No, because if I did... I would be pitching to him, and I would have hit him with a pitch. So, <laughs> <laughs> then I'd have brought more. I'd brought more problems to myself. So no, I, I just knew I had to listen to what he said and and, and get better and and prove myself to be part of that championship team. So I enjoyed it, um, but I enjoyed every bit of it though. On Wednesday, February twenty fourth at twelve thirty p.m. Eastern, Seton Hall's College of Communication and the Arts will host its third and final Black History Month sports media panel entitled "Baseball's New World Order." Lee and Schechter will welcome Sports Illustrated writer and Fox and MLB Network analyst Tom Verducci, among other guests. To register for this panel and get information on the Sports Media Speaker Series, go to shu.edu forward slash communication dash arts forward slash sports dash media dash speaker dash series dot cfm. Thanks for listening to Believe in the Media Guide. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes and find us wherever you get podcasts, including Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. I'm on Twitter at Hotem, H-O-T-H-E-M as in Mary. Stay tuned and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.